Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Fred Rutman. Fred has had multiple near-death experiences in his life, and he tells us basically the story of them and uh, what he's done to kind of heal his body over the years. Uh, very cool podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. Check me out on Instagram at NoorKidY. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Fred. Rutman. Welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. I'm here with Fred Rutman. Fred, thanks for joining me, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for this. Um, I know right now you said you're uh, getting ready to write a new book about like the amazing experiences you've had. Um, I don't even know. Maybe amazing is the wrong word to use. Uh, but um, you I, I want to say you've had many, many near-death experiences, and uh, just the way I've uh, heard you describe it on your Instagram, it sounds like insane. Like, I don't know, you, how about I'll let you uh, describe it and uh, kind of give us a little bit of your story. Well, it's definitely uh, what's been described to me is I've had multiple one in a billion experiences oh. uh, medically. So... Uh, I'll go back to uh, the summer of 2009 and um, I started collapsing uh, unconscious and hitting my head on whatever was the hardest object in the universe that was in the vicinity yeah. <laughs> and uh, didn't know what was happening. Didn't even realize uh, I had a serious medical condition um, and I went to the hospital and emergency a number of times. And I was misdiagnosed. Uh, you know, they look at you, overweight, middle-aged white male, you must be having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. So they, they kept testing me for heart attack. And they do that by uh, testing for certain enzymes that, that get released when you have a heart attack. Okay. And uh, you'd think that like after the 12th or 15th time this happened, uh, one of the doctors would have, you know, scratched his head and said, hmm, Maybe we should be looking for something different, but, uh, but no. So um, I ended up uh, this happening a few more times and I'm battered. Like I've had so many concussions and uh, I've had periods where I, I was been unconscious for a long period of time. And turns out later we found out I had been, uh, without heartbeat and oxygen for over five minutes on a couple of episodes. So that's getting into pretty extreme territory. Yeah, no kidding. So I eventually found out that um, I have a condition called full heart block or third degree heart block. And what that means is the electrical system in your heart that tells your atria and ventricle to pump and get the blood in and out. Uh, stops working. So it, it essentially died for me. So 
if your heart's not pumping, your blood pressure goes to zero and no blood in your brain and no oxygen in your brain and you collapse. And that's what was happening to me over and over and over again. So your heart would just start, stop pumping just randomly and all of a sudden yeah. you will collapse. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't so much near death. It was, I was clinically dead. So there's uh, various diff- definitions of clinically dead. Um, but generally it's when your heart stops beating and you've stopped breathing for X amount of time. Okay. So, you know, some definitions have it at 30 seconds, some have it a minute, some have 90 seconds, and, you know. So I, I ran the gamut. I know some were shorter, but I know some were three to five minutes for sure. Because uh, we've got them recorded on ECGs and stuff like that. So, yeah, holy macro. And uh, like, just so we could, uh, right now, you're, you have a pacemaker, right? So now yes. you're, you're okay. And you haven't had one of these episodes for a while. Um, well, I wish that were true, but oh, that, no. uh, we'll, we'll get into the story because the story doesn't end with me getting a pacemaker. Oh shit. All um, right. So, but this is where, you know, this first episode of this and the hitting my head is, you know, the beginning of all my PTSD and anxiety and post-concussion syndrome and and all those things after this happened or while it was happening i lost a lot of functionality so i come i'm a i'm jewish so i've been reading hebrew since i was i don't know grade one Mm -hmm. and uh, my friends brought me my prayer book in the hospital i could no longer read hebrew it knocked an entire language out of my head no and way it's like 12 years later right now and i may be back to 80 percent. and you were reading this fluently before yeah i didn't always understand what i was reading no i get <laughs> that yeah but uh yeah so when i go for communal prayers it's really difficult because i cannot keep up with uh with anybody the they they're just so fluid it's it's very difficult and a little little depressing but mm. um my balance was off. My depth perception was off. Um, I remember going to the subway. Did you take the subways here? Yep. So you know how the platforms are sort of angled off so uh, all the runoff can go back into the, the uh, subway tunnels? Mm-hmm. I would go into those and it would feel like I was like 90 degrees and I think I was falling. And I'd have to run back to, you know, the stairwell or an inner wall and just sit there for 30 minutes or so until my brain, you know, stopped doing this to me. And I could start trying to walk around and stuff like that. Wow. Um, Yeah, my balance was screwed. I had trouble going downstairs. Going upstairs was okay. Going downstairs, I lost that depth perception and I couldn't. So I can't tell you how many times somebody grabbed me in the subway as I was about to tumble, it's uh, it's a scary way to go through life. The the doctors, not saying this is a condemnation of doctors or bashing the doctors or anything. It's just, you know, this is the system we got. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody checked me for a concussion. Nobody sent me for an MRI. 
nobody thought, uh, let's come up with a treatment plan for this guy so he can get his, his life back. There, there was nothing. And it turns out there is no roadmap for coming back from what happened to me. I had to figure it all out myself. Jesus. Like, so they didn't give you any kind of resources after that? Like if you collapse, you had a, you hit your head, you were clinically dead. Like afterwards, it's just kind of like, all right, see you later. See you later. Yeah. Have a nice life. Jesus. And like, how many times did this happen before they uh, decided to go like, okay, maybe this isn't a heart attack. This is something else. It was probably about the 16th time, 16th 16th. or 17th. I was in a hospital, um, not one of the hospitals in my home area. And I'd been there for about eight days, maybe. I don't remember the exact number. And they decided to put a Holter monitor on me. So that's one of those uh, portable heart recording machines, ECGs. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. So, um, and it was a Friday afternoon when they gave me that. And then they wanted to send me home. We know something's really wrong with you and you're getting really beat up. So let's take you away from probably the safest place you could be and send you home. Yeah, I know, kid. And then so, that's probably when they figured out, like, oh, shit, this guy's heart just stops beating once in a while. Well, yeah. Um, so I had a really uh, quirky roommate. This guy was hilarious, but I, I don't want to say too much about him. Um, but he monopolized our washroom. And <laughs> this is my roommate in the hospital. And uh, so I had to go to the, uh, to the washroom down the hall. And again, as soon as I went into the washroom, I had a couple more episodes. But fortunately, I was wearing this Holter monitor. So when I came to, um, I staggered back to the nurse's station. And like, my glasses are broken. I've got a cut over my eye. I've got a black eye. And the nurse is like, what the hell happened to you? I'm like, can I swear? Yeah, go not. I'm like, what the fuck do you think happened to me? This is what's <laughs> going to happen to me if you send me home. And uh, she still, this nurse really said, we need this bed. You can't stay here. Um, really? The hell with you. I'm staying here. I'm not going anywhere. And, uh, you know, my roommate intervened and he had some pull in the hospital that I won't get into. And I ended up staying. But because of budget cuts, they couldn't actually read this Holter monitor until Tuesday afternoon. Jesus. And then this cardiologist in my book, I call him Dr. Bland because like, I remember nothing about this guy. He was expressionless. He talked monotone. So um, he comes running into the room and he's like, holy shit, your heart's stopping. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anything else you want to tell me? Well, <laughs> you know, well, we need to fix it. Thanks. With a pacemaker. So for those of you who don't know what, how a pacemaker works, there's dozens of types of it, but it's basically the size of a pocket watch. It's a little supercomputer that they put in just over your chest muscle. So they, they cut you open. And depending on your condition, they run wires from the pacemaker into your heart. Mm. And... Uh, they embed the end of the, the pacemaker lead into the tissue and it builds up scar tissue around it. And uh, that's to hold it in place. And uh, 
So for me, it had to replace the electrical that was not getting through to tell my atria and ventricle to beat. Mm -hmm. So I'm 100% dependent on this pacemaker. If it stops, I stop. Mm. So we suspect something went wrong during the surgery. And I was unconscious for this surgery. So I can't say yay or nay. So this is sort of going into the, this is maybe the area 51 section of my story. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So life goes on and I'm trying to get myself so I can, you know, go back to work. I was a college prof at the time and uh, I wasn't, I wasn't sufficiently recovered. I, I lost everything I needed to know to be a teacher. So I had to basically, you know, redo my MBA on my own. And uh, so I I was pretty messed up, but I knew intuitively that exercise is always good for you Uh and learning is really good for your brain. Uh So those were my primary tools that I was using to, to get myself back to normal and, And just as I was getting ready to go back to work, this all happened again. Again. I started collapsing, hitting my head, boom, 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 wash, rinse, repeat, happened another 15 or 20 times. And the, uh, the doctors again, couldn't figure out what was going wrong with me because I had a pacemaker. Uh So it must've been something else. And the original condition, the third degree heart block, I understand why they didn't look for it initially because it's something that usually happens to men in their mid seventies. And, you know, here I was in my early forties, so they weren't looking for it. So I can kind of give them a pass on that. Um, This time what happened is they figured out that my pacemaker was defective. So one of the wires uh, that takes a signal to my heart, the insulation cracked. So it's like, you know, any wire you see, it's uh, used for, you know, it's got a coating, which is partly insulated and stuff like that. So it cracked for some reason. And usually if there's a batch of defective parts in a pacemaker or the pacemaker itself, there's a worldwide note that gets sent out and everybody says, hey, this is going to be a problem, you know, replace these. So there was no recall for mine. So it was a uniquely me event. Ah, Nice. (laughs) Get all, you get all the luck, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously something happened to this pacemaker wire that caused it to crack. So this is part of area 51. So, (laughs) you know, it's pretty unsettling knowing you're walking around and what you thought was fixed. Again, you're in the same situation. You move the wrong way. And you're dead again. Like, you know, and maybe you're not coming back this time. So no, that's uh man, that's uh scary. That's really scary. Um, I, I do want to go into a little bit about uh kind of the what you did to heal yourself afterwards and like the different kind of stuff and like and also like with especially with like PTSD and anxiety as well, because I bet you with just uh, especially hitting your head all the time and all that stuff. Before we get into that, though, one thing I've always been interested in is near-death experiences and how you've been through these so many times. I'm just trying to, uh, <laughs> like, 
do you have any memories of like when you're when this happens or is it just darkness for you and are like a blackout or how how do these feel for you for for the most part it's just what i would feel was like my brain was having an earthquake it was just like and then you're fade to black and you're you're gone and um the coming back to life part was was vicious it was like a really unpleasant experience so on the dying end i didn't i don't remember having any of those come to the light or seeing the dead friends and relatives and stuff like that yeah yeah um someone you might know of sam kinnison yeah uh, yeah when when he passed away in that car accident um people said he looked like he was actually having a conversation with God while he was dying. Oh, um, okay. It's the, the, it's the craziest story. And, you know, he was actually a, a minister uh, of some sort before he went into comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's going to have a, a very interesting <laughs> experience. He had an interesting brain to be sure. So I didn't have any of those that I can remember, but, I did have a number of the out of body experiences um, where, you know, you're like floating above and looking down on yourself. And uh, I don't remember a lot of those. I think I probably had about five or six of them, Mm. but you feel very confused. Yeah. And if the, if that really is your soul departing from your body and looking down on yourself, um, you know, your soul is sort of conflicted, like, okay, I'm not getting clear instruction here. Is he like dead for good? And I'm supposed to go up to heaven or wherever, or am I supposed to go back? And there's yeah. this <laughs> tension, pull and push and whatever. <laughs> your and, soul must be getting annoyed, like, fuck, all right, we're going back in. <laughs> yeah. So make up your mind, God. <laughs> So that, yeah, that's an interesting, man. So and any other experiences? Like uh, I guess when you're like floating above your body, you said it's like a mostly a feeling of confusion. Well, not I don't know if it's mostly. I mean, you know you're floating above your body and you're you're looking down, you're you know, you're seeing yourself. Like I mean, once I was riding my bike, um, which is my primary source of exercise these days, and uh I was in a field with some pathways and it was nine at night. Nobody uses this area in the evening. So Mm. I'm just, that's just where I died. And uh, I remember just looking at myself and, you know, I've got my bike helmet on and and my bike light and my bikes, you know, just trashed somewhere beside my body. And I don't know how long these episodes last, you know, you lose, your your relative time uh your ability to judge time i would so, know, I mean, yeah <laughs> you know this could have been two minutes it could have been two seconds mm. but you know you you just okay uh this isn't right um how can i be seeing myself you know stuff like that like all sorts of thoughts go through your mind but it's um it's definitely unnerving but i'm glad i I came back. And then when you were saying the coming back 
part you said that is very chaotic like you don't like that at all like do you have any way you can like kind of articulate that yeah um uh once i was on a gurney in the hospital and not many people saw me coming back to life in this manner and for some reason the emts left me on this gurney and went to do paperwork or whatever and i had another episode while i was sitting in emerge all by myself and so there was all these people around that saw me when my heart stopped and I went into wherever I went. And then when I came to through one of these awful experiences, I'm surrounded by like 20 strangers who were looking at me like an alien had just come out of my chest or something. Mm. So I imagine what was going on outside my body or what my body was doing was also pretty freaky. Uh, to go along with what I was feeling. So what I was feeling was obviously I couldn't breathe. And it was like being in the middle of the most massive fireworks display you could ever imagine. So the colors were just so vibrant. They were overpowering. Like, you know, even though they're not, you're not seeing them with your eyes, it hurts. Mm. And the explosions were so loud that, you know, almost beyond tolerable. And with every explosion of the firework, it's like I'm actually getting hit, you know, Jeez. hundreds and thousands of times. Like it's very, it's a very, very painful experience. And, you know, it's one of those things I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, mm. but, um, you know, you're literally cl clawing your way back to life. And yeah, and okay, that's interesting. I didn't know it would feel like that, like unpleasant of an experience, like, because it seems like that doesn't, seems almost torturous, like how you're describing it. Yeah, um, I don't know if that's what it's like for other people. Because uh, I've, you know, I've read a few books on near death and stuff like that. I don't seem to recall anybody describing that part of it. It's always the front end of the come to the light and yeah, yeah, I know it seems like yeah, it always seems like the fun, uh, like oh, look at all my uh, all my family there, and but like I'm just gonna go back. I got some stuff to deal with on Earth, but I'll see mm -hmm. you later. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times they describe it as people saying, you know, there's a group that's saying come to the light, and another saying, no, it's not your time. You got to go back. Mm -hmm. No, that's uh, that's honestly really crazy. Um, all right, so I I want to kind of you just said like you found different ways to like heal your body um because i bet you you got to a point where you wanted to take a little bit more control over this process because mm -hmm. it seems like the medical system was kind of i don't know i guess i could say failing you a little bit because you've had so many episodes and it just seems like it didn't like really help you that much uh, or it took a long time to help you um mm -hmm. So what was the healing process for you? And like, what were the big ones that you found that really helped you? Well, for sure, the exercise and, and the learning. Um, but what really, really helped me um, started in February 2018. I went to a regular cardiologist visit for a checkup. And I'm in the exam room and he walks in and he throws a book at me. And the book was called The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung, who's a 
nephrologist, kidney specialist, uh, based out of Scarborough General, I think. And he was sick and tired of all his diabetic patients coming in and losing kidneys and other limbs and having the quality of their life degraded. So he started researching intermittent fasting. And so this book, The Obesity Code, is one of the foundational books on intermittent fasting. So my doctor said, buy this, read this, do this, but only after we get buy-in from your other six major doctors. Mm. So this is where we have to do a medical disclaimer. We're not giving you medical advice here. <laughs> if, if you want to look into intermittent fasting, I'll, I'll show you a book uh, later that you can look at, but please don't do anything without consulting with your own medical team because it can affect your medications and your blood pressure and all, all sorts of things. So, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. So go on. So the medical system being what it is, it took like three or four months for my doctors to keep sending letters to each other and mm. figuring out that this is something I could do. So I ended up starting it in May of 2018. So initially, when I first went in the hospital, I found out I was type two diabetic and I had no idea because you don't really feel, you know, things at the cellular level that tell you you're diabetic. Mm. So they had put me on insulin right away and, and like pretty substantial doses. So when you're type two diabetic, your blood sugars are too high. Mm -hmm. So the insulin is supposed to clear it out of your system. But the weird thing about the medical system is the, the dietitians and the doctors say, okay, eat a whole bunch of carbs, which raise your blood sugar, and then take the insulin to lower your blood sugar. Like intuitively, it's like, how about just not taking the carbs and a little less insulin and, and get my blood sugar down? Mm -hmm. uh, but they don't treat people that way. And they, they make you think that type 2 diabetes is chronic. You're going to have it for life. And your life's going to become a living hell. You know, you're going to lose sensation in your extremities and, you know, maybe a kidney, maybe a limb, whatever. Um, but that's not true. As I found out, because from six months of intermittent fasting, my blood sugars were normal and I was no longer needing to take insulin. And that's not an uncommon story with people who do intermittent fasting. So Initially, the doctor suggested that I do the intermittent fasting for weight loss. And it's been fantastic for that. I've lost 10 pant sizes. So I've gone from a 48 to a 38. Good for you, and Mom. Thank you. Um, I'd like to lose a few more, mm -hmm. but uh, that'll come in time. So as I've gone through this journey with intermittent fasting, I ended up... Um, being associated with a woman named Jen Stevens, who started a Facebook group based on a book she wrote, Delay Don't Deny, which was about intermittent fasting and how it's not a diet. And I eventually became a moderator in this group that ballooned to 335,000 people. Oh, wow. And so I was part of a team that would answer questions about intermittent fasting, which means we had to keep upgrading ourselves regularly to be able to answer you know, the hundreds of questions we were getting daily. And, and what we learned 
is that intermittent fasting, the weight loss is secondary. The healing thing mechanisms it unlocks in the body are the primary thing. So as Jin likes to say, it's the health program with a side benefit of weight loss. Mm. And uh, what happens is when you fast and you've been fasting for a longer amount of time, like I'm talking about the number of months you've been fasting as opposed to the number of hours you fast in a day. Okay. It starts to unlock these epigenetic pathways. So my understanding of epigenetic is there are these subsystems that you can't see, but they're activated by certain stressors, positive stress in your body that start activating all these uh, healing complex or processes that we would have no idea about. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, the one that gets talked about a lot is autophagy and autophagy. Um, I don't remember the scientist's name. He was a Japanese guy. He won the Nobel prize in I think 2016 for his work on autophagy. So when you're not healthy or less healthy, your body doesn't use your proteins properly and they start to fragment and break up and they end up getting absorbed into your cells. And it's almost like clogging a drain. So you've got all these fractured useless proteins that um, invade your cells and they impede the ability of your mitochondria, your energy cells Mm -hmm. to provide energy for your body. What autophagy does is it cleans out those cells. It finds all these fragments of protein all over your body, not just in your cells, but on the exterior of your body and recycles and repurposes them. Okay. And it makes you more efficient. So for example, um, if you have scarring on your body, which is basically protein, collagen, gunk, Mm-hmm. Um, it'll find them and uh, it'll fade your scars. Oh, like even external scars? Yeah. So, okay. I mean, so many women um, have reported that their cesarean scars have disappeared. Damn. Burn marks and stitches have disappeared. And I've, I've seen that on myself. I don't know how well this will show up on camera, but I've got this little mark right here Mm -hmm. this used to be the size of a loony okay it was a burn mark so in you know three and a half years it's just gone Mm -hmm. um i know my uh sleep apnea has disappeared my asthma has disappeared um i had diabetic retinopathy which is the you're leaking fluids into your eye which can eventually cause you to go blind it's a diabetic condition Jesus. i was just about to be scheduled for laser surgery and i went to see the surgeon and he looked and he's like what the hell it's gone damn so and just an endless endless um number of, of conditions that it's alleviated for people so how long but, uh, do you have to do this before this uh ethos i can't even say it <laughs> ato- autophagy autophagy uh how long does it take until that uh process kicks in like how many months are you talking about oh it's not months it's 
it's actually running in your body on a regular basis because your body is very smart mm -hmm. and it knows it has to heal it, but it runs at different speeds. So when you're not well, it's running at like, you know, maybe 10 K an hour, like school zone speed. Yeah. But after you've been fasting for 14 to 16 to 18 hours, and it's going to be different for every person, um, it starts to ramp up and it's, you know, getting to highway and freeway speeds mm. and working much more efficiently and cleaning a lot more out at one time. Um, and then when you do longer fasts, and again, we caution you about doing these, um, it can get up to like super highway. It's like it's going on the Autobahn you know, no speed limit. And it can do that for, you know, a few hours, but then like, just like your car, your car can't run full out, you know, mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it has to temp tempers off and, you know, you would have to do a bit of a reset and then start again, you know, feed your body and start again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, so when you're talking about, like, when we do these intermittent fasting, like I, I will actually, I'll tell you, like I was, I did that for like a few weeks, like maybe a year ago and I did lose like weight and I felt like my skin looked a lot better. And like, yeah. I was getting like a lot stronger too, when I was working out, I yeah. ended up tapering off of it. So you're actually kind of, uh, you're actually giving me some uh, motivation to start doing it again. But, uh, when you're like looking at 12 hour, 14 hour, 16, 18, like how do you uh, decide what's the good way to like, uh, what's the good fasting um, hours for you? Well, it's going to be different for everybody. Um, you know, because we've had different dieting histories. We're all from different places in the world that affects, you know, how our body is used to processing foods and certain types. Um, so when I started, I did 12, 12, like a 12 hour fast and a 12 hour eating window. Mm. And just to clarify, these are not dry fasts. These are with water, but yeah. nothing flavored, nothing sweetened. Is um, coffee. Okay. Plain coffee is. Yeah. They, just no milk or sugar, right? Yeah. The what's it called? The bulletproof coffee where you fill it full of butter and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, it's food. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. It You're just breaks your fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I because we didn't know what was going to happen with my medical conditions and my medications, we started off very conservatively. Uh, so just twelve hours, and then I would say by the end of September. So this is May to September. I was comfortable doing twenty threes. Twenty three hours. Yeah. And so, then what, what do you, so you do 23 hours hour. to eat, that's it. Yeah. So you eat once a day. Yeah. So that in the uh, intermittent fasting world, that's called OMAD, one meal a day. And uh, again, people have different definitions of what that means. So, you know, is it like an appetizer, a regular dinner and a dessert or just, you know, whatever works for you. you you'll find out what works for you and what doesn't it's uh you, you have to do a lot of tinkering with intermittent fasting to to find what's best for you and that'll change over time as well as you get healthier you might find you have to fast less mm -hmm. um, if you get into a maintenance mode where you've lost all the weight you know maybe you don't have to fast every day okay so so but the thing i love about it is it's not like a diet i can eat whatever i want 
you know, within reason and within appropriate volumes, mm-hmm. but nobody's telling me not to eat Haagen-Dazs. Mm-hmm. If I want to, that's, that's my choice. Um, so there's no such thing as falling off the wagon. Um, there's just some days you happen to fast less and the days you fast the amount of time you want. Okay. And uh, yeah. Um, and what did you feel like it did to your energy levels? I remember when I did it for like just a brief period, I was kind of surprised because in my head, every time I would go to the gym in the morning or work out, I always felt in my head, it's like, oh, I have to have breakfast before I do that. Like, if I don't do that, I'm going to have no energy and like, I'll just, there'll be a worse workout. But I started to just be like, no, I'm going to go to the gym in the morning without eating anything. And I would just have water and a coffee and I would go. And then like, I had the energy. It was fine. Like, Mm -hmm. like, then I just came home and that's when I broke my fast is when I came home and ate after my, after the gym. Like, how did it, how Mm -hmm. did you feel with like, your energy levels off the charts yeah like i know now uh that i've gone back doing a couple of longer fasts uh a couple of times a week so 40-ish hours um i get so buzzed and we've talked about this with my uh, moderator colleagues it's like i'm getting the jitters it's it's like there's so much energy there's too much energy um the brain fog goes away if you've got brain fog and a lot of us do. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, when your body goes into ketosis from fasting, it's a little different than the ketosis you go into from a keto diet, mm-hmm. because in the keto diet, you're getting to a certain level of ketosis and then you eat, which breaks your fast and tells your body, we don't have to be in ketosis. We can go back to generating sugars for your body to run on mm-hmm. in intermittent fasting, you stay in those deeper levels of ketosis and your brain prefers to run on ketones. I mean, for the most part, if you look at like what we were doing a hundred thousand years ago, you know, we weren't running to McDonald's. We were, you know, running to McDinosaur. Yeah. And, and uh, it's true. And like, we would always uh, like, fasting was kind of a part of like everybody's life like you whether you you wanted to or not yeah when you got some food you ate your food but then it's like all right now time to go and do the like yeah go and find the next meal which sometimes that would mean you're not eating for a few days Mm -hmm. no that's uh crazy and i wanted to know how does this work with your diabetes because like in diabetes isn't the logic because i know both my uh parents have it too and um I, isn't the logic with diabetes like you're not supposed to or you're supposed to keep your sugar up so like you, like you were saying like you're supposed to have some carbs here or there like uh it's a mind-blowing clusterfuck it really is yeah so it, like with your diabetes you just didn't feel it wasn't a big deal with you or you just when you started fasting well we measured it i mean my endocrinologist sent me to the diabetes clinic uh, at first, every two weeks, you know, you're measuring your sugars and, you know, they're going down and down and down. Um, and, uh, you know, in the six they recalibrate my glucometer because that's what told me how many, uh, how much, how many units of insulin I needed with each meal. And it just kept going down and down. So we just kept tape, tapering it down and down and down until I just decided, 
you know, I'm close enough to normal. Screw this. I'm, I'm had enough with sticking myself with needles. I'm just letting the intermittent fasting do its thing. And, uh, and it's been, you know, three and a half years. Good for you, man. That's amazing. Uh, so you like, you wouldn't consider yourself diabetic anymore? I don't, but you know, doctors have these weird mindsets. So, you know, if somebody has cancer and they go into remission or they're cured, they don't keep telling the people that they have cancer. Mm -hmm. But if you're diabetic and you've made your numbers normal again, and you're not taking medication, they still want to call you diabetic because they're in this old mindset that type two diabetes is a chronic condition. You can't really be rid of it. Oh, okay. That's uh, all right. That's interesting. <laughs> all right, Matt. I like, honestly, I'm, I'm glad you told us about this because uh, I, I hope uh, honestly you inspired me to like actually take back up fasting a bit because I remember how good I felt when I was doing it. And I hope my <laughs> audience kind of feels that way too. Um, yeah. Before we get going here, I, I do want to like, talk a little bit about like uh you said you had like ptsd and anxiety a lot of that from this condition like and i couldn't imagine like having a condition where you just collapse at any time mm-hmm. that would make you so anxious like it, it just yeah. your whole idea of like fuck uh, anytime this can happen so i i understand yeah. that um what kind of what did you do to kind of deal with that uh anxiety just so you can live a regular life a little bit um well, I was seeing a psychiatrist. I did. Um, but again, there's no roadmap for how to figure this out. So, you know, she helped to the best of her abilities and we would talk things out. Um, but again, the exercise and the learning helps a lot because it refocuses your mind. But to be honest, the biggest part of this that helped get rid of a lot of the PTSD and anxiety is the fasting. Uh, because another one of the things that the fasting activates is it starts your body to releasing these things called neurotropic factors. So if you want to learn a little bit more about this, um, you could see a TEDx talk with Dr. Mark Matson. He's uh, a lead researcher at Johns Hopkins, um, which is one of the prime primary hospitals for research in the U.S., Mm-hmm. And he he talks about the brain recovery, and it helps um, regenerate nerves and axions and dendrites and synapses in your brain, and helps uh, create new routes for information to to get processed in your brain. And the autophagy gets rid of any scar tissue that might be built up in your brain from all those injuries, um, and you know it just helps you perform better um that little video you saw on my instagram Mm -hmm. um like three years ago i wouldn't have been able to figure out how to use that that Mm -hmm. software uh but now i can i'm you know i've still always got a little bit of anxiety running in the background and i still have some slight balance and uh a little bit of memory problem where i can't find words Mm -hmm. so Maybe that's part of aging, but I think it's still part of the the trauma. No, I, I, I could see that too. And like, I, I know, like even myself, like dealing with anxiety, once I've like 
kind of like gotten past the worst parts of it there's always like a tiny bit there but uh mm-hmm. you kind of learn techniques to be able to deal with that and handle that in real life so it's not really pushing you off too much well one of my techniques right now is i've noticed my neighbor has just sparked a doobie and the it's <laughs> coming in through the window here oh nice <laughs> well that, that's a good technique there as well <laughs> yeah Again, check with your doctor. <laughs> All right, Fred, man. Uh, honestly, this was a great, uh, great podcast. Uh, thanks for all the knowledge and like sharing your uh, story with us. Um, I got My one pleasure. more. I got one more question, and I'm uh, really interested to hear your uh, answer to this. It's the name of the podcast. So, uh, Fred Rudman, God, yay or nay? Definitely yay for me. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I come. I'm in the Orthodox Jewish circles, so there's, you know, it's kind of mandatory that you have this belief in God. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the commercial belief in God. Um, if I'm not dead and and God pulled me back from the abyss uh, for whatever reason, it means I've got some purpose in this life. What that purpose is that I haven't done yet, I don't know. Maybe it is telling my story and helping to inspire people. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's something else. Um, no way of really telling until you formally dead, I guess. Yeah. And uh, your near death experiences, do you think they shaped your view on this at all? Mm, hard to say, you know, it, it really is. Um, I didn't come out of this thinking, Oh my God, I almost died. And so now I've got to change all these things I'm doing in my life. I didn't have those types of revelations because mm-hmm. I've been a person who's always trying to grow anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess, you know, not having the come to the light experience and not having the, those revelations, I'm feeling kind of ripped off. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually, uh, I like that. Um, <laughs> all right, Fred, thank you so much. Um, let my audience know where they can get a hold of you. Uh, tell them about the book uh, you're uh, going to write and uh, anything else you want to promote, please do it now. Um, well, I'll show the book again that I showed you earlier. Um, if you want to do some good research on fasting, this is uh, my friend, Jin fast, fast feast, repeat. Yeah. Fast feast repeat. All right. New York times bestseller. All right. And uh, um, my book is called, the summer I died 20 times. That's um, <laughs> so kind of self-explanatory. Yeah. And I've got a fairly brand new Instagram that I'm just getting into. Um, so my name on there is repeatedly dead Fred. I like that you name. Sense a theme here. <laughs> uh, so you can slip into my DMs on there or um, you can email me at repeatedly.fred. Sorry, repeatedly dot dead dot fred at gmail and uh get a hold of me awesome hey man thanks so much for doing this i appreciate that my pleasure appreciate you having me on all right that was another episode thanks for listening everybody please like and subscribe to the podcast give it a good rating that always helps and share it with like-minded people i really do appreciate that you can check me out at newerkidy on instagram Or check out my website, newerkidy.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up. 
and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.